Hello, everybody, um, and thank you so much for the very first episode of my new podcast, Mentor Matters. Um, and as everybody knows, I'm very obsessed, I would say. I would say obsessed about mentoring. Um, you know, I'm very passionate about it, and I really believe it's the key to retaining teachers for our students. Uh, and I'm thrilled today that the, my very first guest on this podcast is none other than the amazing Peps McRae. Hello, Peps. Hi, Hailey. Very exciting to be on the inaugural <laughs> mentoring podcast. <laughs> I know. Look at this. Wow. I feel like I'm um, alongside education royalty here being next to, to Peps. And, <laughs> you know, I have been a long time ad admirer of, of Peps. I'm going to gush about him for a couple of minutes now. Um, love um, all, all his work that he's done in teacher development uh, with Ambition Institute. And prior to that, some of, of the papers that, that he wrote um, as well about what makes effective teaching. I use that an awful lot to kind of inform my training that I do with uh, our trainees at University of Sunderland as well. Um, and I think Pepsi is the only other actually no working in education at the moment. I might be wrong, so do please tell me and, and uh, if I am wrong. But you also have three master's degrees like me. Is that right, Pepsi? <laughs> You've got three as well. Oh, my goodness, Hayley. What a... <laughs> what I have. <laughs> what, what, yeah, we, we've both been led astray multiple times. Um, yeah. You are the only other person I know, seriously, who's been stupid enough or crazy enough to do three. <laughs> Peps, do you just want to say anything else? Um, sort of introduce people to your work? Yeah, sure. Um, so just worth knowing, I think important to recognise that I've been a teacher myself. Um, so I was a teacher in mm -hmm. and around Brighton for about seven years, maths, secondary maths teacher, head of maths, uh, like a lead practitioner, uh, all during that time, I was a mentor right from my yeah in, in my first year potentially, and uh, after that, then I spent the next seven years or so running the PGC secondary maths course at University of Brighton. Um, so you know, I'm incredibly passionate about like you, incredibly passionate about uh, teaching uh, and mentoring as a way to try and make teaching as good as it can possibly be. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I mean, that was why I, you know, as soon as I knew I was going to launch podcast, you were the very first guest that I approached and sort of begged um, to be on with me um, because, you know, you've... Um, you are so passionate about kind of teacher development and, and you know, looking at kind of what I might call the mechanics of, of teaching very much um, and how that might translate to improving outcomes for, for students. And a big part of that is mentoring. So I'm going to kick off the podcast. I'm going to ask people this first question whenever they come on with asking you, Peps, um, what do you think great mentoring looks like? Sure. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, a very big question to kick us off, and why not? Um, <laughs> and I suppose, like, where the, the place I would, how I would attack this question, highly, is I suppose a two-part answer. And the, the the kind of first part is that, or the two parts are that a mentoring it has a like a pastoral component. Um, you know, the goal is to try and help. The teacher you're working with, you know, to be successful in their their career more broadly and potentially, you know, even in their lives, uh, you know, we we want like happy, healthy, 
uh, like t- teachers in the sector uh, and and in our world. And then on the like the other side, the other part of the answer to the question is that mentors play a role in helping their teachers to teach effectively as 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 possible. And so there's kind of like a I know a professional development angle to to the job as well. We probably know a little bit more from the from research about what makes the professional development side of the role effective. Um, I think there's maybe we have maybe some indications of how to be effective, like at the pastoral side of things, but that potentially is just more of like a you know. A, uh, and a natural skill that hopefully lots of teachers, or, sorry, lots of mentors will have. Um, like, you know, for example, the EEF last year did a systematic review of the evidence around professional development, um, and that really helped us mm-hmm. to understand, like, what the earlier on you talked about this idea of mechanisms, which are kind of like you know the active ingredients, um, and an active ingredient mm-hmm. is just the kind of thing that makes a difference. So, for example, in toothpaste. Uh, we might describe fluoride as an active ingredient, whereas like you know the minty taste or, <laughs> or like the color, those things don't really matter, even though they're still part of the part of the package. Um, and the same can kind of be true, I suppose, in, in mentoring. There are things that we do that you know are less effective than other things. Um, and as mentors, w- what we want to be doing is to z- be zooming into the things, the, the most active ingredients, the things that are going to have the biggest effect. On helping our teachers to to get better at teaching, as well as you know doing the pastoral side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what would you say? I know this is big question again, a huge one really. But I mean, what would you say that some of those active ingredients of of good mentoring might look like? What might they be? Yeah. So, like the. The EF systematic review like gives us a a really good starting point for for to answer that question, um, and so my answer would just kind of elaborate on that a little bit, tying together a few a few other um, experiences and, and bits of literature. And so I've kind of like the framework I have in my head <laughs> um, is uh, um, uses language or well, so let me try and describe it. So like one of the ingredients I think is helping teachers to to get it all right and by get it what i mean is helping them to under understand the kind of like theory behind you know what effective teaching looks like um so you know as an example we you know helping a teacher to understand that uh, you know our working memory can only pay attention to a certain number of things at once uh, and that forgetting occurs like mm-hmm. can have an impact on how we practice as teachers. So like there's the kind of get mm-hmm. it piece. Uh, so explaining you know, what effective teaching looks like. I think there's like a, a mm-hmm. see it piece helping, uh, you know, as mentors, mm-hmm. helping your teachers to see w- what those ideas, what the theory looks like in practice, what just effective teaching looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I don't think that teaching can be easily like discovered via trial and error or at least effective teaching mm-hmm. um, and so mm-hmm. mentors taking the role of like showing teachers what what good might look like can really like increase the efficiency of that learning process 
Um, and teaching is often really mm -hmm. hard to describe uh, verbally. And so often like, like that, that showing piece is a much more effective way to just communicate what it looks like. It's like, here, here's an example. Here's a model of what good looks like. Um, so those are the, the, the first two pieces, get it and see it. But I think there's also like a, a, a practice piece, which you, you know, we might call try it. And I think you know, it can be helpful for mentors to help their teachers to just try stuff out in a safe environment. The classroom is a mm -hmm. like, cognitively demanding place and trying to like, make a change to your practice in that environment whilst you're trying to you know, pay attention to lots of pupils think about what to say next, monitor behavior and like respond to needs as they arise is, is a really big ask. Like there are very few people who are going to be able to mm -hmm. you know, pay the amount of attention that's required to make a change to their practice in that environment. And so mentors providing the kind of safe space and cognitively uh, like un less demanding environment for teachers to be able to practice some stuff, basically try some stuff out and maybe get a little bit of feedback on it and try it out again um, means that there's a much greater chance of that change like working out and taking hold whenever they take it to the classroom. There's also a, a, a piece around keeping it. You know, we know that change is, is actually really hard. <laughs> Behaviour change is a really complex thing and often when we change it, it can be a temporary um, thing. And so part of the, the kind of one of the active ingredients that mentors can bring to the process is habit formation, is helping teachers to like, make those changes that they desire stick in their practice so that they don't just try mm -hmm. something out and see it works and then it's not there, you know, uh, two weeks later or, or even two months later in their practice. Um, so those, like I'd say, are the kind of four mm -hmm. core ingredients. I get it, see it try it and keep it but I think there's like uh, at least mm -hmm. one more so maybe two so another one is um, around motivation maybe we could call this like own it um, and it, mm -hmm. you know the mentor's role is to help teachers to really um, see that professional development and continuing to get better is uh, their you know a, 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 a good and important part of their work um, and their responsibility really and in negotiation with them deciding which areas to focus on to help them to get better one you know kind of small step as a, at a time as it were was you know providing the conditions for that to happen and there are many ways that you know we can help motivate teachers you know we can kind of go into those later if if, if you're interested and then the kind of I suppose relatedly the kind of final piece mm -hmm. is around matching making sure that the professional development that teachers are receiving like fits their needs is, is relevant to them and you know we might describe that as fit it mm -hmm. <laughs> and so like it's really important you know we know from the extra expertise literature that uh, expertise is highly domain specific and so you know if you're helping somebody mm -hmm. to get better at something but it doesn't really relate to actually the tasks that they face in their everyday classroom environment then that's not really going to have uh, a great effect and so the kind of like role of a mentor mm -hmm. to ensure that the professional development that teachers are receiving really like matches closely their development needs is also a kind of powerful active ingredient. So there you go. There's like a framework of six mm -hmm. things. Get it, see it, try it, keep it, own it and fit it. <laughs> How's that?
Love it. Love it. <laughs> love it. And you know what? It links in. Honestly, I do love it. There's your last one. <laughs> That's retaining the teacher. There you teacher. go. That's the cultural. Yeah. Honestly, it is brilliant. Like, um, I think it's so easy for for mentors to understand that and to get it. And to be honest, a lot of them may be doing things that are that fit in in sort of their weekly work of mentoring that fit in really well to those categories. Right. But it just gives it a bit of a framework, doesn't it? To, to you know, um, solidify it really. I mean, you talked a little bit about practice that I want to just pick up on a tiny bit there before I want to ask you a little bit about motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, pr- practice and rehearsal is something obviously that in the last sort of years I would say as as really ramped up as something that mentors can be doing with um, new entrants to the profession and to try and help them develop their their teacher effectiveness and I remember sort of um, being signposted to the deans for impact paper etc I think um from sort of traveling around the country speaking at different schools and universities and colleges etc that I still think um rehearsal isn't as well practiced and as, as well developed as it kind of could be, I think, in mentoring. Um, why, why do you think that might be? What do you see sort of the essential um, tenants, I suppose, of, of successful rehearsal as being? A, a, a good question. You mentioned that, like, the framework, that, you know, get it, see it, try it, keep it framework is a useful way for mentors to think about, you know, the, the, the kind of balance of the diet they're providing for their teachers. And I'd agree that actually pr- practice, maybe even like the habit building piece are, are some of the, like the, mm. the kind of least developed aspects when you look across like practice across the profession. Um, I think that's just because historically we, you know, professional development in general, not just mentoring, hasn't really privileged those aspects mm-hmm. that much. You know, professional development mm. has often, mm. you know, for a long time just was a, a kind of an exercise where you turned up, you, you know, you heard some things, you maybe saw some examples if you're lucky, and then it was up to you to go and like figure out how to make that work in, in practice. Yeah. Um, but we know, like, we know from, you know, the expertise literature in particular, not just in teaching, but from like other fields like you know, medicine and sport and, uh, you know, even like um, music, that the practice piece is actually mm. really important, particularly in domains that are uh like pretty cognitive cognitively demanding uh just like teaching <laughs> and so you know this point earlier i made about trying to practice in the classroom it, it just doesn't really stack up that that well and we you know see time and time again where professional development interventions have um you know, tried to, been tried to put in place but often they've seen limited success and really i think one of the the big kind of points of failure has been in that like knowing doing gap as Douglamov would call it um mm. you know, it's, it's mm. I understand mm. I understand that this is a good thing to do and I kind of get what it looks like but I, I'm not doing it for whatever reason it hasn't become a feature mm-hmm. of my, my mm-hmm. practice or my teaching and I think practice is is the kind of or deliberate practice as Anders Ericsson would call it or as close as we can get to that in teaching is, is probably the key and that really involves um creating the space uh, a safe space and a non-threatening space where a teacher feels that they can you know devote high proportion of their attention to just thinking about that change to just doing something new and mm-hmm. feeling that they're not going to be you know judged for doing it badly or doing something wrong and that 
there are like really low stakes to them trying this out. You know, it's not in front of a classroom of pupils, so it doesn't really matter if you get get it wrong uh, a few times on the journey to getting it yeah. right. And so it's about creating that space and then being like you know prompted to plan in detail like what actually you're going to do what you're going to say uh you know when you kind of make this change in the classroom because it's very hard to kind of just make up the perfect line or perfect construction or perfect you know command in the classroom it's much better if we can kind of take our time outside the classroom and think really hard like what words do i want to use uh, like, you know, what do I want to say, in what order, and how do I want to stand, and, or if it's, you know, to do with planning, how am I going to, like, you know, organise this stuff? And so that kind of, like, planning before mm-hmm. rehearsal is a, is a really important part. And then there's the, like, actual rehearsal piece, um, you know, where, you know, outside of the classroom environment, you're actually standing up and having a go, or, you know, if it's, uh, you know, talking about curriculum planning, you're actually grab, getting out a document and working through it together with your mentor, um, you know, almost outside of the, the kind of normal process so that you can pay extra attention just to that particular, you know, particular small change that you're trying to make to your practice. Mm-hmm. And then as part mm-hmm. of that practice, often you know, what the literature suggests is that it's just not enough to kind of do it once. And once, a bit like, you know, I'm sure, highly you know that you know, the first time you ever taught a lesson, it was nowhere near as good as the second time you taught it, and then <laughs> so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like you know, playing a, a guitar or or trying to you know do some drums, the you know the first time you ever do something, it's really never going to be as good as after having practiced it a few times. And the same is mm-hmm. absolutely true of teaching. Um, and so the opportunity to rehearse and mm-hmm. get some like pretty granular, rapid feedback, and an opportunity to rehearse again and again a few times until you've got to a point where you know, you can almost not do it wrong, <laughs> then you're going to feel really mm-hmm. confident about taking that to the classroom and getting it right in that environment. Um, so I think, like, that's the kind of package of, of practice. And, one, you know, A, the reason we don't have it is because we just haven't had it historically. But also, I think mm-hmm. it can be quite an uncomfortable experience as well uh, if it's not something you've done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, yeah, can be very you're in a very vulnerable position. You have to have high levels of trust uh, in the people who are also in the room um, that you know, they're, you've got their confidence and they've got your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it is something that as, as people start to get involved with kind of th- models like instructional coaching a little bit more, this is becoming more and more something that is perceived to make a real difference when when it comes to teachers um but though i really appreciate you kind of running through that for us because i think a lot of people who'll be listening now might have done a little bit of dispersal they might have heard about it but you know there's there's a big difference isn't there between what deans for impact call kind of purposeful practice and just rehashing things over and over again it's that that granular feedback isn't it and, and the improvement that makes the big difference yeah yeah i think there's there's probably two important things to kind of call out um the first is that it, it's easier when i des- you know, describe practice it's much easier in you know for us to talk about a performative type aspect of change you know so like a teacher giving instructions yes. or asking questions but it's you know practice is equally as applicable to things like you know curriculum design or uh, you know assessment and so i mm-hmm. think it's just important not to 
you know, there's a danger if we just see practice as stuff to do with performance that it kind of skews what we end up doing during mentoring. Mm -hmm. um, and we mm -hmm. need to make sure, we, like I said earlier, you fit fit the mm -hmm. development priority to the, the needs of the teacher. And then this, the second kind of thing to call mm -hmm. out is that the goal, the real goal of, of practice is to build like effective teacher mental models is not just to like imitate a technique really, <laughs> like really fluently. Um, mm. the, like, and that's why yes. the, like, you kind of need to have this get it piece right at the heart of mentoring because um, mm. if, if you're just showing a teacher like an effective way to question but they don't really understand how it works or like why it works, then there's a danger that they just uh, like use it at an inappropriate time and don't know how to adapt it for the specific needs of mm -hmm. different classes. Um, and so this is kind of where the whole thing gets like an extra like layer more complicated because those different active ingredients interact with each other a little bit as well. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think mental models is, is something that maybe we'll touch on just a little bit later, sure. um, which is obviously really, really important thing for, for mentors to consider. Um, so, I mean, what you mentioned earlier about kind of motivation and, and obviously you, you wrote a brilliant book, uh, Motivated Teaching, um, which I absolutely love. I've used loads um, in training some of our students at the University of Sunderland. Um, you know, in the in the book, you kind of talk about the key drivers of, of motivation and a lot of it is about motivating pupils. But, you know, how can mentors work with their um, new teachers, novice teachers to help them keep their pupils motivated? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, OK, so so we're, we're talking uh, motivating pupils here rather than motivating teachers. Yeah, and then we'll come back to motivating <laughs> teachers in just a second. Okay. You're always one step ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fine. So, um, you know, we're, 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 I think you know, we're really, it's a really nice time to be uh, a teacher in, in many ways. Uh, you know, in, in other ways, it's mm. it's pretty demanding, demanding era. Um, but the kind of nice sides of being a teacher are that we have access, you know, more, better access than ever before to some, like, decent research to guide our mm -hmm. practice. Um, you know, there's some pretty, pretty decent, well-established, high consensus evidence from cognitive science, for example. Um, the research around motivation is a little less established and, you know, not as strong. Yeah. There's a whole, like, when you start to dig into it, you'll kind of, first thing you come across is that there's a whole bunch of terms that seem to mean the same thing <laughs> but are used in lots of different ways yep. and there's actually a whole bunch of different fields you know behavioral economics and you know, evolutionary psychology and software design and information processing and they all kind of like try to tackle very similar things behavioral sciences uh, and so the field's just a little bit more messy and so there's a bit more work for us to do as a profession to kind of tease out the the big insights um but when you do that mm -hmm. you know like I have, you know, if you're interested, spending five years trying to like <laughs> wrestle this stuff around a bit, uh, <laughs> you, 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 there is, there is, there are some kind of recurring patterns, bright spots in there, and I think the, if I call it a few of those, like the first big one is uh, success. Really, um, the more that we can help pupils mm. to feel like they're being successful in the classroom in our lessons, the more likely that they're going to be motivated 
to, to learn with us in the future. And that makes complete sense, right? You know, if you're, mm-hmm. uh, you know, say you're learning to drum and um, it just wasn't going well for, you know, repeated period of time, it'd, yeah, it'd be really crazy for you just to keep investing, keep banging your head against the wall. Whereas, you know, if you felt like you were making progress every time, mm-hmm. your appetite for, you know, going back and, and keeping learning is going to be much higher. Um, and so success and like kind of managing people's perceived prior success rate is a really important factor in, in motivation. And, you know, the kind of best way we can do this is just to teach well, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, uh, okay. both unhelpful and helpful answer. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's not the only thing, I suppose, that we can do to influence success. Um, so, you know, teach well, we can like explain things clearly, break stuff down, provide opportunities for practice, give feedback, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, however, success is, is a very subjective thing. And if our pupils don't share the same like vision of what success means as we do, then there's a risk that actually mm-hmm. the way we teach, mm-hmm. even if we teach effectively, that they can still walk out of the lesson thinking that it's been a failure for them. So for example, like, you know, I might teach in a mm-hmm. way uh, that I feel <laughs> pupils are successful when you know, they're trying really hard, they're attempting every question, they're asking questions when they get stuck, they're helping their peers, all that kind of stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. in my class, mm-hmm. I might have a pupil that thinks that success means uh, like doing all of the questions and being the first to finish and not asking for help. And as a result, regard, you know, despite me teaching well, they might walk out of the lesson feeling like it's been a failure. And if that happens repeatedly, then their motivation levels are mm-hmm. going to really dip, regardless of how effectively I teach. And so mm-hmm. there's a piece, for example, here around like framing success and helping people to understand what success means like. Um, so that's one like, kind mm-hmm. of one lever we can pull to, to boost motivation in the classroom. Another really interesting lever is routines, actually. Um, and this, mm-hmm. there's kind of like a strange link with motivation here. Um, because what routines do when you get them in place, they essentially allow pupils to think less about the process of learning, like think less about what's happening next, what do I need to do Mm -hmm. now? And as a result, they can think more about the content of the learning, think more about the substance, the stuff that we're trying to teach them. And as we know from, you know, Dan Willingham and others, like what our pupils think about is what they end up learning. And so routines, when you mm-hmm. get them in place, basically allow people to redeploy the limited attention that they have available more towards the, 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 the kind of curriculum, more towards the content of learning. And as a result, you end up being able to help mm-hmm. them learn more in a, in a slightly like faster, easier type way. Um, so it allows you to like ratchet mm-hmm. up the challenge even further without like causing like uh, cognitive overload and so that's uh you know and as a result mm-hmm. pupils will will experience like greater levels of motivation um so you've got like success and then the other mm-hmm. like side of that is like, i suppose routines um but those are very kind of like classical economic like levers there's also a whole mm-hmm. bunch of like social levers that that seem to have a big impact on motivation mm-hmm. um so for example social norms mm-hmm. um social norms are like a social no- what are social norms essentially we are like heavily influenced by the behavior and attitudes of 
other people around us far more than we think <laughs> mm-hmm. and in the school environment in particular <laughs> social norms have a like a huge quite subconscious influence on like, behavior and attitudes and things like that like you know we can see this i know this because in the morning you know i struggle to get my son to put on his socks but his teacher will have him and you know <laughs> 25 other pupils like doing complex stuff for multiple hours uh, you know with like much much less effort and hassle and like one of the reasons that that happens one of the reasons that school actually works is because of social norms it's like a really you know without it we really wouldn't mm. be able to to like have school <laughs> as it currently exists and we can uh, teachers can kind of leverage the power of social norms by trying to elevate the visibility of the most desirable behaviors in their classrooms and in the school so you know pointing mm-hmm. out stuff like oh you know peter that's you know been a really you know great way to come in and you you've like started on your do now and you know you're helping you know else beside you whatever it is or you know telling stories about what the other you know what your other classes have done and how well they're doing trying to just like elevate mm-hmm. those desirable behaviors raise the visibility as much as possible will have that that kind of like social norm impact and the more if you can get to a point where you know pretty much everyone is on board that is like you know super powerful mm-hmm. even the presence of a single dissenter that kind of breaks the magic a little bit and reduces their effect it's a bit like you know when you're like queuing up for the cinema or something like that um, you know, you're very happy queuing until one person kind of starts to sneak down the queue and push in. All of a sudden, you know, there's a little part of your brain that's, that's thinking, oh, you know, should, should, I, should we try and find a friend further down in the queue? And it kind of breaks, mm-hmm. the, breaks the magic <laughs> of the social norm a little bit. Um, and then, mm-hmm. uh, actually, there's an like, important kind of nuance around social norms that uh, worth just, just sharing. Uh, it's important to focus on what you want to happen rather than what you don't want to happen. Uh, I always cite an example from when mm. I was teaching. Um, so there was a time where, you know, my pupils, my class, for whatever reason, didn't, like, a lot of them didn't do the homework. And so I'd come in the next day and say, hey, right team, not good enough. Loads of you haven't done your homework, sort it out. But, of course, the message that I'm sending there is that, you know, the majority the, the, the dominant social norm of this group is not doing your homework and those few people who were doing the homework are now starting to like probably feel that they're like in danger of being excluded from the group so so there's like you know it's always better to emphasize what you want to happen rather than what you don't um, and then the kind of final thing to, is to say that the the power of those social norms is also mediated by the sense of belonging that people feel to that group um, if, if you know if people in your class mm. really don't feel like they identify with the group that they share anything in common with the people there they don't kind of believe in the you know, kind of purpose that the group's aiming for then mm-hmm. those social norms really won't have very much effect on them whereas if the opposite's true you know if you mm-hmm. like um you know people in a group really feel like they have things in common with people like they you know they belong they're included the teachers like got mm-hmm. their interests at heart um, they have like a, they have a status in that group, then like the social norms will have a really you know, significant effect on them. So like that's kind of a whistle stop tour of some of like the major levers that we can pull to influence motivation in the classroom. Sort of like some of the classic levers, um, increase success, establish routines, and then there's some kind of more social levers, uh, you know, 
elevate the visibility mm -hmm. of, of desirable behaviours, you know, that's harnessing social norms, and then trying to build belonging as much as possible in, in your class and across the school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it struck me why you were kind of going through all those that, you know, it's something that mentors need to know because these might be some of the challenges that, mm -hmm. that their mentees might have overcome. But that actually why you kind of started to think, well, actually, all of that has got to be relevant to actually motivating new teachers as well. Um, because, you know, learning to teach is hard. <laughs> no, nobody is disputing that. Um, you know, great teachers aren't born. They're very much developed and, and made over time. Um, and I think that... Um, it can be really demotivating training to teach sometimes, especially if you're, you know, quite hard on yourself sometimes, I think. Maybe thinking that there's still norms around you, uh, that everybody else on your programme or your ITT course or whatever is making massive progress and you're not. You start to measure yourself against others. Um, and, and I think emotion is tied up with that very much as well. Um, and one really amazing thing, if you haven't checked out website um he, he has these really fantastic links to really practical easily digestible like fantastic papers and one of them that you signposted peps was this bocart paper from the oecd i think it was a couple of years ago now and um, she links between emotion and motivation there and basically was saying students feel motivated and they feel competent and there's those stable links between actions and achievement and it struck me that actually that is very much something that is prevalent when we're trying to develop teachers as well, that they need those, that sense of confidence, that sense of achievement, that the small steps that they're taking are leading to, to better development. Is that something that you'd agree with? Can we link your writing about motivating students to motivating new teachers? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. Um, I, I think in general, the, like our c cognitive architecture is more common than it is different between people <laughs> at different uh, in multiple stages of their lives. So, you know, if we think about what we understand about the science of learning and the science of motivation, it, it probably applies, you know, 80% of it, I'd say at least, applies to both, you know, primary school children and adults. Now there, you know, there are some differences in context. You could go into it some stage, um, but by and large, I think you can you can really transfer a lot of those principles. And you know, the, the kind of the, the the obvious one, but it's important to call out is that teacher learning is just learning <laughs> in a lot of ways. And mm -hmm. similarly, like you know, mm -hmm. teacher motivation is is just motivation in many ways. And so you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Like whenever teachers being mentored are you know, facing like low mood or feeling having low motivation it's probably because they're you know they're mm -hmm. not feeling high levels of success that mm -hmm. there's just not a lot of routine yet in their 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 career mm -hmm. um that they don't maybe don't feel like they particularly belong because you know they're not as experienced they're having to, to work mm -hmm. harder or you know pupils are rejecting them or there just aren't a lot of other you know, teachers like them in that department or, or school. And so trying to kind of like tackle those things, I think will have, you know, pretty, can have a pretty significant effect on, on teaching motivation. Like the caveat, of course, is that 
like both for adults and people. It's like none of this stuff is a quick fix, sadly. Uh, there's no magic bullet. No. Um, it, it's, it, it just takes like quite a bit of time and investment for behavior, uh, including motivation and attitudes to change. Um, but, you know, we're teachers haven't you know come into it with a naive expectation that learning is going to be easy and motivation is easy and so i don't think that's something that you know as a profession we're not willing to willing to swallow as it were we play the long-term game highly don't we yeah we do we sign this lifetime guarantee of continuous professional <laughs> development the job's never done really is it? Yeah. <laughs> always more to learn um the kind of is, um, I mean, kind of on that topic, really, I mean, I, I remember being sort of a, a new teacher myself and being given a piece of um, feedback in a lesson that was really frustrating, something like, um, you know, make the lesson more challenging. Um, and I didn't possess the actual mental models <laughs> to be able to to understand what challenge looked like, how I would do that, you know, what, what, what were the steps that would take me towards making it more challenging. Um, that's a big part of a mentor's job is helping new teachers develop what Claire calls that lattice work of mental models that kind of experience and, and having sophisticated schemas bring. So, you know, in, in kind of your opinion, how can mentors help to develop a new teacher's mental models? What kind of things can, might they be able to do? Practical stuff that they can do on kind of a weekly basis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, good question. And I think we're kind of like, we're in like reasonably early days in terms of being able to answer this question effectively. Um, but at least we were asking the right question. <laughs> there are some clues out there. Um, and I think like if we, the framework I described earlier, you know, the, the get it, see it, try it, keep it peace, is really designed to help teachers mm -hmm. build effective mental models. Um, because a mental model really is mm -hmm. a posh word for uh, what we know and how that knowledge is organized to guide our action, perception, and decisions. And if we, in order to develop that kind of knowledge, develop mental models, we need to help teachers to you know, get the theory, understand what it looks like in practice, and then do this work of kind of like, like transforming that into an embodied <laughs> form of knowledge that's kind of highly automated. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's a bit like uh, learning to ride a bike or, or drive a car. You know, you, you kind of, You've got to know the theory, but that's not enough. You've got to know like what it looks like. Where do I put my hands and my feet and stuff like that? How do I like actually sit? Because that stuff is really hard to describe. But still, you, like that itself is, is not enough either. You've got to have an opportunity to just like try it on, to practice it, and that develops a whole different kind of like much more tacit knowledge that's just highly critical. Um, and then the mm -hmm. more fluent you can get in that knowledge, the mm -hmm. more working memory you free up to be able to. Like learn other stuff and be responsive mm -hmm. in the classroom and things like that. So that's like, that's the kind of like the best description of, of a mental model, the package of a mental model I can offer. Now the the piece that is, um, like we've talked a little bit about, you know, for example, motivation or the theory of motivation. Um, but mm -hmm. that, that you know, in, in terms of that needs to be paired with like a clear description of what that looks like in the classroom early on i talked about you know trying to show this as clearly as possible but the thing that you know we maybe mm -hmm. haven't talked about as much is the importance of like really breaking that down decomposing 
that that practice into mm-hmm. really small kind of bite-sized chunks because you know mm-hmm. teacher practice is really complex and there's a certain a but like when you you have to break things down to a small enough level to be able to practice them mm-hmm. <laughs> and unless you do that like mm-hmm. just telling somebody to you know go and for example you know challenge their pupils more or <laughs> increase the pace or sort out the behavior these these things are all like mm-hmm. of too big a grain size and so one of the big kind of like skills of a mentor or challenges that mentors face is breaking teaching down into small enough bite-sized pieces that can be practiced and then mm-hmm. built back up together to be able to, in, in a way that allows the teacher to be able to, you know, do something more meaningful like manage an entry routine or, you know, manage behavior in a classroom, a really big, great size thing. And this is like, um, mm-hmm. you know, this relates a little bit to my role at StepLab. So StepLab is a professional development, mm-hmm. you know, uh, platform for teachers that specifically focuses on supporting instructional coaching, which, you know, is a kind of an effective form mm-hmm. of, of, of mentoring, one effective form of mentoring. And one of the kind of like key mm-hmm. things that StepLab does is basically breaks teaching down into these really small granular improvement targets called steps. Um, mm-hmm. and you know codifies mm-hmm. them really clearly so that you know somebody like a mentor could just like very quickly zoom in to a precise thing that a teacher needs to get better at and then be able to like go through that process of helping them understand get it see it practice you know, try it out and, and and keep it and so it's like i think when you know when you start to <laughs> when you add in the the green size piece the whole work of mentoring like you can mm-hmm. see why it, it's it's such a like a, a complex art really because you need to know an mm-hmm. awful lot and need to be able to like break down teaching to very like pretty effectively mm-hmm. into small chunks in clear ways and that codification exercise like codification of this incredibly complex practice is just like yeah a, a bit of a gargantuan <laughs> task really and so this is why like tools like tools like step lab <laughs> <It is a laughs> <bit. laughs> tools like step lab and you know books like teach like a champion and uh, you know dixons have got a forthcoming teaching and learning playbook coming out like stuff like that that codifies teaching and breaks it down and gives us some language to describe it at a granular level that's like those are really powerful tools yeah. for for mentors i think yeah, definitely. I mean, and at Sunderland, we've been using uh, Paul Van Brick Santoyo's mm. name it, do it um, yeah. because I think having that shared language is so important, isn't it, as well, um, in kind of codifying this. And you mentioned um, Step Lab. I'm going to be begging Josh uh, um, to come and chat to me about instructional coaching as well and hear his responsive coaching model because I think that's pantering is being responsive as well, isn't it, and adapting the support that you give based on the the kind of bespoke needs of, of your trainee or your ECT or, or whoever it be coaching. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a huge job mentoring, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, we, we have a, a really, really huge remit. Um, so I just wanted to kind of wrap up now. Um, I know you're, you're super busy and I really appreciate you, you spending some time with me this afternoon. Um, I think the whole kind of world has been waiting, or I certainly have, uh, waiting for your next book, um, Developing Expert Teaching. Is it due out spring, is it? <laughs> I've been waiting too, Hayley. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah, fingers crossed due out next spring. I've just kind of finished the first draft of it. Um, 
it uh yeah at least yeah. i i take writing books takes time for me um i spend a lot of time like trying to make it like really clear and concise and uh yeah i'm very happy to just yeah. like spend another year or another six months or even another two years to get that right rather than just kind of rushing it out so um yeah folks will appreciate people's patience and yeah. um, but hopefully when it comes out it should like you know provide a decent structural overview of what uh, effective professional development looks like and mentoring is just a form of professional mm -hmm. development and so yeah should be should be helpful to, to lots of folks out there. Mm -hmm. but i think like that book is just one example of a whole bunch of you know, forms of tr training around professional development that we are seeing across mm -hmm. the profession mm -hmm. and I, which i think is like a essential but b really exciting you know, it's mm -hmm. in you know five yeah. five years time, I reckon the amount of the, the collective knowledge that we'll have across the sector in terms of what it means to be an effective mentor or an effective coach is just going to be like light years beyond you know what we had five years ago, and that I think mm -hmm. you know, we know how important mentors are in terms of system improvement they really are like the engine mm -hmm. <laughs> they really are the engine of system improvement yes. mm -hmm. and so like the more we can invest in helping mentors to be as effective as, as they possibly can be through these different resources you know my book and your book and you know the mpqldd mm -hmm. and the the like mentor aspect of bcf programs like mm -hmm. the the more we can do that the, the kind of the better it will just be for everyone over over the long term so mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I think we, we, we're entering a very, to be a mentor and, and be part of teacher development. I think we've got some work uh, with the Chartered College as well, looking at Chartered Mentor status. Uh, you know, I know the National Institute of Teaching are doing a lots of research on mentoring at the moment. So it's a very, very exciting time, I think, to become a mentor. And, you know, all, all of your work has, has kind of fed in. So thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do like the, the point around status, I think, is really important. Like with all this training i would like to hope that yes. your know, mentors increasingly get the kind of status that they deserve in the system you know they, they really are like the engine of improvement then we should definitely have a, a like a, a greater public perception of that and i think you know that's i would i'm keen to try and support and contribute to you know developing that narrative both within the profession and more widely and i'm, I'm sure you will be as well hi or Haley, sorry, they, um, yeah, mentors yeah, are legends. And so, yeah, it's a privilege mm -hmm. to be able to support them in whatever way we can. <laughs> no, absolutely. And thank you. Um, and I think on that motivational uh, note of mentors, what a way to finish. <laughs> um, so if you don't follow Peps on, on Twitter, um, you know, please do go on. Um, he shares some absolutely, would say, iconic threads. <laughs> um on anything to do with kind of teacher development i mean your threads must get shared like thousands of times um, so um you can follow peps on twitter he's on at peps mccray um also has a brilliant website that i mentioned earlier on with loads of links and have you got three books out so far peps and as well yep, three out one one more to go and we'll uh, see what happens after that <laughs> you, you like me, and you say never again, and then you end up. <laughs> See, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, that's my life. <laughs> okay. yeah. Thank you so much, Heidi. Uh, really lovely of you to have me on. And uh, no, thank if you. there are anybody out there who like has any questions or just wants to connect, like yeah, just feel free to drop me a, a message on Twitter just to say hi. Uh, always keen to support mentors wherever I can.